Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily. It's Friday. We're building up to the weekend return of the Premier League after an international break, which no one really wanted. And there is no Friday game tonight as well in the league. So we're going to leave the preview action to Niall and the team on the preview podcast. That's going to be out Saturday morning around 1am GMT. So you can get your pre-match build up by listening to that. As always, subscribe on this feed and you'll get the latest shows whenever they are ready. That's a new podcast on the Premier League every single day. Today, though, we're going to be talking fantasy football with Game Week's Matt Dyson, who's going to be answering some of your questions to help you get one up on your FPL opposition. We're going to be talking foxes with the man who was all over our TV screens in 2016 when Leicester City won the league. We're going to have Lee Chapman, a.k.a. that bloke who looks a bit like Jamie Vardy, is as our guest on Floodlight Focus in a bit as well. And we're talking Pep Guardiola signing a new contract with Manchester City. And for that, we've drafted in a proper Bertie Blue in the shape of Adam Keyworth. Morning, Adam. Hi, mate. You all right? Yeah, not too bad. But to taper a little bit of Adam's enthusiasm, we've also got a man who struggles to say anything positive about Manchester City <laughs> and is no doubt wearing his red-tinted Liverpool specs as we speak. <laughs> Steve McNaughton, how you doing, Steve? I'm all good, mate. All good. <laughs> We've had some very uh, interesting reviews on your contributions, particularly when it comes to Manchester City and the uh, and the financial fair play <laughs> situation we had a little while ago. So I can't wait yeah. to hear your opinion on Pep Guardiola getting a brand new contract at Manchester City. And okay. I think it says a lot about how significant this is that Pep has signed a new deal that we're going to dedicate the next 10 minutes of the podcast to it because... I don't think if Sean Dyche signed a new contract at Burnley, we'd be giving it quite the same attention. But we now know Pep Guardiola has an intention, at least, to stay at Manchester City until 2023. That is the new contract. Adam, what does this mean for Manchester City? Um, I think, first of all, I'll, I'll level the playing field with Steve and just say that it's. I think it's really exciting for the Premier League in general that Pep and Klopp yeah. are both going to be sticking around for at least three years. Mm. It's... Um, I'd say you're looking back to your Ferguson Wenger days of this is a a long term rivalry now and it's good it's healthy I think for for the Premier League at large but I think from a city point of view this is really positive news if only for the case that it removes all the uncertainty around it we were kind of getting into territory where we well from the press's point of view we were looking at Pep rolling on his contract year by year mm. and maybe not deciding until March and that leaves people everywhere in a bad a bad place. The current players, the fans, and I think in particular as well, if you're looking at signing players and the players don't know who's going to be the manager for the next couple of years, it it kind of, I think it just throws a lot of things in the air. So it's, it's a really good thing in that we now are certain who's going to be around. It also, for me, is a really interesting challenge. I think only... I, I could only say that one manager in Premier League history has peaked twice or more, and that was Ferguson. Mm. Uh, no one's ever done it before. City peaked in 2018. Between 2017 and 2019, it was it was amazing. We all know that, 198 points, beating off that Liverpool side, the four trophies in a season. Absolutely amazing uh, couple of years that is very difficult to replicate. But he's set himself the challenge of trying to rebuild and peak again. So it's going to be interesting, if nothing else. As a Liverpool fan, Steve, I imagine you're a little bit disappointed that Guardiola's decided to stick around for another three years. But 
how much of it have you only got yourselves to blame? Because surely, if it wasn't for <laughs> your own dominance and your own rise to winning the Premier League and winning the Champions League, then Guardiola would have achieved his goals and potentially wouldn't have stuck around. As we saw at Barcelona and Bayern Munich, he kind of did what he needed to do and got out. He's spoken about unfinished business at Manchester City. And I guess that unfinished business is the Champions League and knocking Liverpool off their perch again. So how much of it is to do with Liverpool being dominant that's, that Pep's decided to stay around in the Premier League? Um, I think you know there might be some in that. I think Adam just summed it up then. I think that um, we're blessed at the moment in the Premier League because we've got the two best managers in world football. I don't think I don't think anyone comes close to them. In all honesty, I think what they've done for football in this country is absolutely phenomenal. And I think you know it, it is good news that they've both committed till twenty twenty three, twenty twenty four in Klopp's case. And I think you know it's another few years for it, for us to enjoy them going at each other. And and what's fascinating about Pep and, and Jurgen is that they both um, do each other. You know, they, on regular occasions they both out you know uh, tactically outwit each other, and it makes for really exciting games. There's never any dull games between Man City and Liverpool. And I think the gap that they put in the league from all the other teams is nothing short of incredible. The points tallies. I mean the trophies that that Pep's won at uh, Man City have been nothing short of phenomenal. I think you know they will be fixated on getting that that Champions League um, and, and winning that because I think once they win that that that's it's almost like that monkey off the back, isn't it? It's like when Liverpool hadn't won the league for thirty years. Once they get over the line on that, it, mm. it changes everything. I think um, in terms of. Um, um, off the perch, like I think there's a lot of work to do on that. But um, you know, I think it's a good thing. I think City will be buzzing. I think there's a bit of clarity now uh, about the direction that the club's going in. Obviously, the club are extremely committed to Pep and the work that he's done and the work that's still to be done. And um, and let's have it right as well. Anyone else is a downgrade on Pep. So there's, there's not even. I mean, when it comes to replacing that guy. I mean, what a task that's going to be. There's just no one out there, I don't think, who could come in and do the job for City at the moment. Well, that's an interesting point, Steve. I'd be interested in your view here, Adam. Was there anyone else that you would have bought in potentially for Pep Guardiola? And there isn't a City fan on earth that would go, I wanted to get rid of Pep. But you're kind of entering that unknown territory, and you called it earlier. Not many Premier League managers manage that kind of second cycle, that second stage. And Pep Guardiola's never done that at a football club before. At Bayern Munich, he was there for three years. Barca, it was four years. So we're kind of seeing a different side of Guardiola here, potentially, where he has to rebuild the team and enter a different cycle. Is he up for the challenge? And, and who would have been the other names that you would consider, given the, and I say issues carefully, because Manchester City haven't really had any issues, but maybe by their incredibly high standards, they've dropped slightly short. Was there a case for maybe looking elsewhere? Yeah, I think I saw a really good article yesterday after the news came out that this is almost as big a risk for City as it was bringing someone else in. Because you bring someone else in and they, as you say, we dropped off last season for various reasons and in various competitions. We just weren't up to the same standard. Bringing somebody else in would have kind of freshened things up. But at the same time, I think mm. what Pep's given himself the time to do is is almost rebuild the squad that he built. Like you say, it's a new cycle. He's probably seen players in there that he thinks, do you know what, I can, I can get a new team out of this. You look at... He brought Diaz in, who looked uh, on the face of it to be third choice, but he's come in and shored up a defence that was shocking at times last season. Foden's come through, brought in Torres, who looks like a, 
a little wonder kid in himself. Jesus now coming to the fore. He's probably looking at those players and going, these are going to give me the, the foundations that I need to kind of shape a new team. And it is the Champions League thing as well. It says a lot, I think, about Pep that he could have really got out this this year if he wanted to. Um, he could have gone to PSG and won everything in France and all that sort of stuff. But he hasn't. He's stuck around and gone, do you know what? I'm going to have a good go at this. And three years, I, I can't imagine he'll stay any longer than this. It'd be seven in total, will it? I can't. Mm. I can't. Do you think he'll see out this contract? Yeah. There was a big thing made uh, that he he never leaves a contract midway through. Do you think he'll stay to the end of 2023? Yeah, I think um, I think he will. And I, as I say, I can't imagine he'll stay any longer than that. Um, <clears throat> unless, of course, we've built a team that is absolutely dominating. But... I think you say about as well other managers that could have come in. You saw the names floating around the press, even over the last couple of weeks, about Pochettino and Nagelsmann, but they're not sure things either. What you've got mm. in Pep is you know that he can win. You know that he can win well. Um, but now we've given him the opportunity, and it's it's uncharted territory for him, that he can go in, have another go at building a really good team. And if he does, don't forget he's risking a lot by doing it, because it could go the other way, and we could really regress. But... At the same time, if if we can go on to win a couple of titles in the next three years, it's going to reflect really, really well on him. And there were there were rumours that he'd turned down Juventus' job, the PSG job, even over the last few months. So, as you say, he's he's very the board and everyone involved at the club are very tied to him. He's come out and made no airs and graces about the fact that he he loves being here, and that isn't isn't just because it's it's the club, it's the way he's treated uh, by the public, by even opposition fans, by the press in the most. He's He feels secure here. Don't forget at Barcelona, the abuse he'd get, even after winning a treble because of the Spanish press, was just obscene. So he's comfortable and it's a good time for a new challenge, I think. In terms of the rest of the Premier League now, Steve, and I think I asked this question particularly with Liverpool in mind because Liverpool have... They've not been tight with their spending, but they've certainly been potentially more cautious than some of their Premier League rivals in terms of spending. But Guardiola would not have signed this contract at City without certain assurances that he would have budget to spend and he would be able to rebuild that squad. Does that then provide a bigger challenge now to the likes of Liverpool to maintain their title challenges? And we know there's teams like Chelsea, for example, who are willing to spend the cash. So Liverpool, do they need to match that now? Do they need to really dig deep in order to match City, go toe-to-toe for them? I don't think so. I don't think the model will change at Liverpool. I think you know Liverpool is run financially on a, on a very tight basis. And I, I, and I don't mean tight. They do invest when they need to invest. But... You know, they don't go crazy. Um, I mean, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, I should have looked at it before uh, the podcast, but I'm, I'm sure Klopp's net spend is only something like 75 million quid, you know, since 2015. And It's, it's, gonna be, it's not um, going to be long before Liverpool fans start singing about net spend on the terraces, the way, the way you bang on about net spend. Well, you've asked me a question. I'm just giving you the, the answer to it. You asked me, you know, you're asking me about spending. I'm giving you an answer about spending and, you know, I'm getting criticised for it. Um, but no, I think... Um, <laughs> I think it's not it's not Liverpool's way to to you know to to spend the cash. We have a different strategy to Man City. Man City strategy works for them, which I think is is, is you know fair play to them. Um, I think you know that they've found something that is palatable and they're happy to to, to do. And I think with us, um, you know, we we do have a different way of signing players, and we we have a different way of 
um, going about things, and and that works for us. And I think you know both teams aren't going to change anything drastic on that front. And I think that um, you know we'll just have to do what we can because I think the big problem with Liverpool, and I've said it before on on the podcast, is that Man City have two teams that could go out and win the league. Uh, we don't have that, and I think f- for us to have that, we probably need to adapt the model to do something like what what City have done. Um, but I think there's a bit of reluctance from from the club to do it, and um, it's a it's a case of trying to get the squad players up to the level that uh, some of the first teamers are, which is very very difficult, of course. But I think it's interesting. I think you know we'll we'll it, it, there's going to be many more battles to come. City will win some, we'll win some, and I think that um, they can both you know do relatively well in the Champions League. Um, and and we'll see what happens this season. But I do fancy one of them to win the Champions League this season as well. Do you know what, Steve? Um, yeah. Make a really good point there about the models and how it's working. And I mentioned this in the summer on one of the podcasts that um, it seemed like, in a weird way, City had gone about the business in a very Liverpool way in summer where um, we brought in Ferran Torres as a replacement for Sane. And we sold Sane for, what, 50 million quid or whatever. Brought in Ferran Torres, quite unknown, young, fresh, 20 million quid. Well, it looked like a gamble. But it seems to be a really shrewd move where, a bit like Liverpool, absolutely Coutinho and have brought in just kind of like a plethora of players who might not have seemed to be able to replace, but it's a different kind of move rather than going yeah. out and spending 200 million quid on whoever it could have been. It seems to have changed a little bit and I, I wonder if that's the two clubs almost playing off each other um, and trying Definitely. to work each other out, so... Definitely, I think that that's um, I think that's the way that transfers should work. Myself, myself. I mean, I've been um, Chelsea aren't bad. I don't think Chelsea will win the league this season. I just don't think there's enough harmony there because at a football club to win on, as as you know, mate, is that you've got to have complete harmony. Everyone's got to be on the team sheet, and I just don't get that vibe off Chelsea as a club. Um, and I just think that what Chelsea have done is they've just gone right. Who's the kind of you know the in vogue players at the moment, Timo Werner, you know, Hakimi Zayek, um, you know, Kai Havertz, you know, and people like that. And they've just gone out and just, just spunked a load of money on these players. And some will work, some won't work. Whereas I think that the art is finding a player that is available for a decent fee that is of a certain age and that has one, two or three levels they can they can go up. And I think when you talk about Torres um, I think he's a, an example of that because obviously since he's he's come to Man City and started playing and he scored a hat trick for Spain in midweek, you're looking at it and you're going, what a shrewd signing that is! And that's that's the art of transfers. I think I don't think it's a case of like Jaden Sancho's 120 million quid. Let's just go and buy him, you know, because he plays for England and he and he's a good footballer. He's doing well in the Bundesliga. I think you've got to have a sharper eye than that and you've got to kind of look for you know, the bargains like the clubs have done previously. So I think it, it's really interesting because they are at each other um, you know, in every little um, way and I think it's it's not an unfriendly rivalry, I don't feel. I think, you know, because we have a common enemy in Man United. But um, I think that it's they both keep each other on the toes, definitely. Let's forget about the moderate spending and let's talk about some astronomical spending, Adam, because there's a fair suggestion from a lot of people that Pep's new contract means that the Leo Messi transfer is a surefire slam dunk this summer that he's going to be on his way to the Etihad. Are you buying that one? Um, I'll buy it up until the point where he doesn't come, as I will every time. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll find myself getting getting obsessed with 
like really random Barcelona accounts on Twitter. I think, um, do you know what? It, it's two plus two equals four plus one with Messi. It's like, <laughs> it makes total sense. Um, I think he would do it. I think City would be able to do it. There'd be a way of doing it. I just think that the difficulty with Barcelona, trying to get him away from Barcelona is just too much. Um, it would obviously be, and not even just from a City point of view, it would be amazing just to see him for a season. And it, I mean, it does look from the outside like, oh, Pep staying for three years. Does that mean Messi staying for two years? But I think it's less about that and more about the fact that he's seen young players at the club that he thinks, do you know what? Uh, these these could turn into a, a hell of a side, and I would be the ones who who put them through that 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 transition phase. So I'd love to see Messi at City, obviously. And we talked. I'm about not him. convinced on it. I, I just don't think it's it's viable to get him away from Barca. We we saw him get as close as I think we'll ever see him get in summer. Um, but well, it wasn't that legal situations that kind of yeah, kiboshed that yeah, in the end. It's all legal. Where stuff it's contracts up, isn't it? Yeah, his contract's up in January. We we could, in theory, get him on a free in January. But it's not getting him on a free, is it? It's You've got to get him on a free, no. then his his image rights are one thing. The commercial rights behind it, it's it's genuinely insane. But City could do it. it it's viable. It's doable. Um, but whether we'd, we'd be able to actually pry him away from Barca is, is another story altogether. I'd love to see it, but to sh- nah. You'd have to shatter your wage structure, or wouldn't you, Adam? I, you know, I, I mean, he's going to want. Do you know what? I think it'd be it'd be the biggest workaround in history because I don't think you could actually give somebody eight hundred grand a week or whatever he's on a million euros yeah. a week. Mm. I don't think that's possible. I think they'd have to finance it in a very very interesting way, which would uh, really anger a lot of people. But that'd be a laugh in itself. It would. It, do you know what? <laughs> it'd be worth it. It'd be worth all the the Ferrari from everyone else about oh it's a million euros a week what I said in summer and I was almost saying it jokingly but I could actually see it is they bring him in as almost like a part owner in the club actually Mm. give him a stake in the club so you don't have to pay him any wages instead you're giving him shares in the club so it's going to be interesting to see the best thing that can happen is we sign him for New York City and then loan him to City that would be amazing well, do you know what? One thing it does mean for every football fan is the Premier League is going to be interesting, certainly for the next three years, as you called. Nice one, boys. Thank you very much for that. We're going to move on. We're going to talk about fantasy football. Next. I mean, City are playing their own version of fantasy football, but real-life fantasy Premier League next. We're going to be talking to Matt Dyson from Game Week next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sports Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It is time for a little bit of fantasy football chat. After two weeks away, we're back into Fantasy Premier League and we have our resident expert, Matt Dyson from Game Week, joining us. How are you doing, Matt? Hello, Jim. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Is it nice during the international break for you? Do you feel like you get to put your feet up for a little bit and not worry about <laughs> wild cards and triple captains and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really taken with the Nations League, so I can completely no. switch off from football, to be honest. And like, I'll keep abreast of what's happening. Our Grealish is looking great, which has some relevance to fantasy football, but not necessarily always. So, uh, yes, it is nice to just take it. I have an international break from the game because it's, you know, it's quite. <laughs> um, it takes up. A, it wastes a lot of my time. You know, just. Um, 
focusing on stats and football and, and it can make or break my weekend how my team does so it's quite nice to have a break from it to be honest I guess the most important thing during the international break from a fantasy football front is probably the injuries and we're going to get onto that very shortly but first we're mm. going to start with a question as always the questions have come in via the sports social social media the sports social on twitter you can find us sports social official on instagram and just search sports social on facebook get your questions in there for next week for matt but the first one comes from sally p who says Usually, my FPL rule is avoid Palace at all costs. Very sensible. But they've been doing okay this season and have a really good run of fixtures, which they do. I've checked it. So, she says, who, apart from Wolf Sahar, might be worth a dabble in that Crystal Palace team? Well, yeah, I mean, she's right. They do have some decent-looking fixtures coming up after a a better-than-expected start to the season. They've got um, Burnley away, Newcastle at home, then West Brom away. Mm. And these are teams who they, you know, they should do quite well against, potentially. Uh, Like she says, Wilf Zaha started the season fairly well. He's gone slightly, tailed off a little bit recently, but he's still delivering. Uh, uh, But I I think one of the ones I've been keen on watching is... uh, is Eze, the guy they signed from QPR mm. in uh, in the summer. A uh, young lad who scored his first goal now. He scored that amazing free kick in, in the 4-1 uh, uh, game against uh, Leeds. Uh, he got an assist and a goal in that. Uh, he played a full 90 minutes. And he's, not, he's only played a full 90 minutes twice this season. But he certainly looks like a bargain at 5.8 million, potentially. Because the, the he was banging in goals in the championship at that level. And he seems to, like if this is a sign that he's now ready to play, perform in the Premier League, at 5.8 million, he could be worth a shout. So I've certainly got him on my watch list at the moment. Uh, he's worth a look. And then in defensive-wise, the great news is uh, uh, an all-time great of fantasy football, Patrick Van Arnholt, PVA. Uh, the goals stick to him like glue because he uh, he is a regular for getting assists and goals going forward as well as keeping the odd clean sheet in yeah. defence of Palace as well. He's now fully back from injury. And with those three fixtures coming up, he's looking tempting for me. He got an assist in the last game. And Patrick Van Arnholt, when he's fit and he starts every week for Palace, is always worth a shout at uh, 5.4 million. I was checking out his ownership earlier as well, because I had my eye on him. And he's only owned by Mm. 0.6% of managers as well. So there's a bit of a differential, potentially. There is for now, certainly. I mean, in the past, that number's been a lot higher because he's been a, like I say, he's a, he's a fantasy favourite every season, really. He's normally around the, at least the 10 to 15% ownership, but because he's been out injured, I'm presuming that's why. And there's a bit of a slow uptake now mm. he's back. But with those three fixtures lined up, he's certainly worth having. Right, let's move on to the next question from Tamari, who says, I've got Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison in my team and have been patiently waiting for Everton to get good again. But do I need to ditch them now? This is quite an important question for me as well, because I've got three Everton players in my team, which were looking like great picks at the start of the season. Now, not so much. Well, I mean, Calvert-Lewin has been delivering even when they've been losing, so he still pops. He still seems to always pop up with at least a goal for you. And, and his run just seems to be... There's no sign of it running, running out of steam at this stage. But despite, what is it, three defeats in a row they've had now for yep. Everton? Coincidentally, while Richarlison has been out uh, suspended, I mean, I'm not sure how big a factor that is, but I think it's, it's part of the reason why they've not been doing so well. He's now back from his suspension, picked up a slight knock in uh, the international, some sort of uh, horrendous X-rated challenge by Edinson 
Cavani, but apparently he's fine. He says he's hoping to play. And with the next game being Fulham away, you know, one of the whipping boys, uh, you know, I think you'd be mad to get rid of. If you've got three Everton players, I don't see why you'd get rid of them at this stage. But then you look at the players they have lost to. They've lost to Southampton, then they lost to Newcastle, and then Manchester United. They hard, it's hardly the cream of the Premier League, is it? <laughs> no, yeah, so maybe, the, yeah, maybe we shouldn't pay too much attention to the opposition, but it's Fulham. Come on, <laughs> it's Fulham. Richarlison's back. You know, they're back to pretty much full strength. Rodriguez has had a few injury issues, and he now seems to be in the clear. So I think they're back to full strength. I've got my, my I think I might sign him actually this week is Dina, Luca Dina, because he's, uh, he looks, he's, he's very close to scoring with a free kick. That's going to happen soon. Mm. I think Fulham away could be potentially the week for it to happen. Great with assists and there's potentially clean sheet potential as well coming up there with uh, Fulham away, then Leeds at home, then Burnley away and Burnley are a, are not the force they were in seasons previously. So I I would certainly stick with them, at least for the Fulham game. If you've weathered the storm so far, then just keep the faith yeah, a little bit longer. that's what I mean. Yeah, you've got this far. You might as well keep them at least, at least for Fulham away and see how they get on there. But I think, yeah, Richarlison returning to the team is going to give them a lift. And they seem to be at full strength. Uh, not too many injuries, unlike the other side of Merseyside. Well, let's talk about the other side of Merseyside because Paul has got a question that is Liverpool flavoured. He says, I've got three Liverpool mm. flavours. Now I'm worried they're going to implode. Flavours. Liverpool yeah. flavour. Yeah, Liverpool... <laughs> what flavour would Liverpool be? What's your flavour? <laughs> Tell me what's your flavour. Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the song went, I think. He's worried that Liverpool are going to implode. Is it time to play the wild mm. card? and offload his three players, or is there still a little bit of value there? I'm assuming the three players he's got aren't, the, aren't like Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, and ones that are definitely injured. Well, I mean, yeah, or, or Mo Salah, who's got COVID. So yeah. it's like, if you did have them, I mean, it's, it's screaming in your face, play your wild card. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Of course, the first wild card, you've only got till January to use it. So, you know, you've got to use it fairly soon. And if you still had it now, the first wild card of the season, I would certainly be tempted if I had three Liverpool players. What Van Dijk's gone for mm. ages, knee injury. Then Gomez was another serious knee injury. Alexander-Arnold's out for a while with a calf injury. Not sure how long for. Uh, Matip's also... Uh, oh, no, Matip's fine, I think, at the moment. But it was it was Fabinho, who they sometimes use as cover in defence, mm. uh, who was who's also got an unknown return date due to injury so they've been really badly hampered and Mo Salah getting uh, Covid which Mane had a similar issue not long ago so I mean they've still got Robertson at the back there Jordan Henderson out as well I think isn't he yeah yeah they're, they're, they're dropping like flies I mean it is a real injury crisis I would be certainly tempted to drop a wild card, whether they are going to implode on the pitch, because they have got a fairly deep squad. I mean, mm. they're not. Maybe the back four is going to be thrown together, but you can always uh, put Milner in uh, left back, can't you? And he does always does a decent job. And so I reckon they could be able to put a patched up back four together. And with Jota in good form, as well as Mane, uh, you know, they're still going to have potentials for goals. So I wouldn't think they're going to fall apart at home against Leicester on Sunday evening. I still think they should have the edge over Leicester, despite Leicester looking in quite good form going into this. I suppose there's that old saying, isn't it? Never let a good crisis go to waste. And where these Liverpool players are going to be out, there's going to be those fringe players that are potentially coming in at good value. Players like James Milner, players like Jota, who are going to get yeah. that chance in the first team and aren't going to break the bank, but are still going to be playing in a 
Liverpool team with good players around them and will be challenging certainly in top six of the table even when the crisis has finished. Yeah, well, as I said on this podcast last time I was on before the international break, Jota's looking like an amazing bargain at 6.5 million. And he's even starting, even, you know, with Firmino now, they've started with all four of them in the last game out for Liverpool. So mm. attacking-wise, he still looks like a great option. But, of course, Liverpool against Leicester is um, Brendan Rodgers' old house, isn't it? Klopp lives in Brendan Rodgers' old house now. Klopp used to rent it off him, but now I think he's bought it. So he now owns it. But, you know, those two are going to get... obviously presumably go for a drink at his old pad after the game and discuss things but I still think Liverpool will have the edge over Leicester I didn't know that about Brendan Rodgers' house I thought you were making a metaphor of some, some no. kind <laughs> no, <laughs> you mean he no. actually it's, lives in his it's house it's one of the most fascinating stories I've seen in, in recent years that uh, when Klopp because they, they ha, like, you know, you know, it's like a sort of um, the job the Liverpool manager's job had a sort of state house that when whoever takes over goes and lives in this house uh, but they rented it off Brendan Rodgers Rodgers was his landlord so Klopp used to call him up when he had a problem with the boiler's gone you know. but, yeah the boiler's gone Brendan uh, send someone round mate come on please uh, James Milner's uh, legs have gone the, and the boiler's gone so <laughs> get he, it sorted so, so Klopp was Rodgers tenant for a while but wow. I believe Klopp's now bought it so that, that relationship came to an end maybe he was a bad landlord I don't know. That's the kind of chat you get if you subscribe to the Game Week podcast <laughs> where you'll find Matt and Dan talking fantasy football <laughs> and about various football managers' housing situations. Uh, Matt, yes, yeah, yeah. No metaphors, <laughs> just straight facts. We'll, Matt, we'll discuss which type, which flavour of player you should be signing this week. Yeah. Matt, good intel as always. Thank you very much and we'll catch you on Game Week podcast and we'll catch you next week on Football Social Daily. Cheers, Jim. We're talking Leicester City next with our floodlight focus. We're going to be talking to Lee Chapman, who is the fellow you would have seen all over your telly in 2016, spitting image of Jamie Vardy and a massive Foxes fan. He'll be talking to us about Leicester City for floodlight focus. And that's on the way next. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily and today's floodlight focus, which is looking at my old stomping ground of Leicester City. And we're going to be speaking to Lee Chapman, who you probably otherwise know as the man who looked like Jamie Vardy and was all over everywhere in 2016 after that famous Premier League win. How you doing, Lee? Oh, man, you're bringing all that back already. The memories of that 2016 are insane year uh, for myself, but not just for myself, but for the club as well. I mean, it, what a year, what a year. And we're, and we're still talking about it. I'm still pinching myself that it even happened. As a man who rose to fame as a Jamie Vardy lookalike, you must be looking at the league at the moment and kind of rubbing your hands together and going, oh, prospect of another title challenger. Yeah, um, we're playing really well. And considering we're, we've had so many injuries from the end of the last season to all the way through to right now, it's quite remarkable. What is the feeling in the city at the moment like? Does anyone really believe that Leicester City can do it again this season? Because if you if you get a few more, I mean, it's still early days, but a few more good results. If the other teams kind of continue to drop points as well, the teams that you'd expect to be challenging this season, it's going to start to look a little bit like 2016 again. What, what, at what point will people in the city start to believe it can happen? 
I think Christmas is always the deadline, isn't it? And uh, it's a big one on Christmas time because we've got Man United on Boxing Day. Mm. So that's the fixture, I think, where you'll go, hmm, if we can beat Man United again, uh, that'd be that'd be a nice thing anyway. But yeah, Boxing Day, then, then I'll give you a true answer of if I feel <laughs> like we can win the league. I feel like we can. I feel like we're good enough. We're playing well, considering we've got key players out still. And we've got these players coming back before Christmas, don't forget. We've got Ndidi coming back. We've got Ricardo coming back. We've got Soyuncu coming back. So, who knows? Who knows? I, I guess that's what's impressed me so much about Leicester City this season is how well they've coped with the injuries and the players that have left. Ben Chilwell was a key player for you last season. He's obviously gone on to pastures new. You've not missed him. Madison's been out for a spell. Vardy's been out for a spell. I guess it shows the kind of the depth that Brendan Rodgers has added to that squad and also how good the recruitment is again for Leicester City that they've managed to bring in replacements. Yeah, the recruitment's been good. It's been a good window, to be fair. Kenge's unders came in from AS Roma. Um, we've already branded him as the undertaker uh, <laughs> at uh, Leicester. So, <laughs> uh, you know what? There was a tweet actually by the undertaker himself as well that acknowledged that. So that was quite nice. that was class from him, to be fair. Legendary. Uh, but um, it's been a good it's been a good transfer window. It really has. You know, we've we've also brought in the Belgium as well, uh, Castagna, who's came in, uh, and I don't think we're going to miss Chilwell on the left. Because as soon as Ricardo does come back in, he's going to slot in right. And I think Castagna will go left. So you're not going to miss Chilwell. Maguire's been replaced by Soyuncu as is. And now we've got Wesley Fafana who's come in. I think we've only conceded two goals as of this podcast since Fafana's played on the pitch. Wow. So that's how of an impact he's brought. Yeah, that's a big impact. So what has been the secret for Leicester? Because there'll be a lot of clubs that are looking at the Foxes and going, that's what we need to do to our football club in order to take it to the next level. Because you've successfully done what clubs dream of. You've come in, you've spent that period in the kind of relegation zone, moved to mid-table and then moved up to regular European contenders. Is it good owners? Is it a striker who bangs them in regularly? Is it the right manager with a vision? Is it the, as we've already mentioned, the excellent recruitment work? If you were going to say this is the one thing you need to get right, what would that be? Yeah, it's a good uh, foundation. You need a good foundation, which is the owners. Um, they've been tremendous, tremendous since they come in um, in the early early days of them coming in. You know, the club was at, at a brink at one point. Um, don't forget, you know, we'd been in administration at one point before 2010. This was uh, so. When you look at look at that and look at where we are now, and um, you see how much money they've put into it, but not just about the money, but just the care and attention to detail. We've got a 100 million pound training facility under works that should be ready soon. I think it's been held back for the coronavirus, mm. but it should be ready soon. You know, that's a state of the art stuff that uh, is a part of Vishai's dream. It's it's his you know ambition as a as a top six side, and I think that's that's the end game here. That's the end game here. What did the death of Vichai, what kind of impact did that have on the club in terms of a project? Because it doesn't seem to be too disrupted from the outside in. Almost, I guess, if anything, it seems to have made it, made it, it resolute to have that vision delivered. Is that the case or has it disrupted the programme? Yeah, it could have. It could have really disrupted things. You know, they could have really, you know, disbanded themselves away because of the memories that it will bring and the hurt that it will bring. But they've not they've attached to us even more i think as a club and they they are leicester city now mm. the king power brand is leicester city leicester city is the king power i don't think it'll ever go away i think that's going to be a permanent thing here at, the, at leicester city football club and you know what we're all for it because so far so good we're flying in this season and we're dreaming we're dreaming again 
Liverpool this weekend, really big test. But if you're ever going to play Liverpool, this is the perfect time to play them, isn't it? You're playing yeah. on Sunday. They've lost their entire back four to injury. Mo Salah's yeah. out with COVID. I think he's still in Egypt at the moment because he can't travel back. So he's not going to be available for this week, definitely. Probably for a few weeks to come as well. You must be going into this game with optimism that you wouldn't have believed you would have had at the start of the season. Definitely. Um, we got battered by them 4-0 uh, on Boxing Day, um, obviously the previous season. And you look at the starting lineup there for them with Trent, jo- uh, Joseph Gomez, Virgil van Dijk, Andrew Robertson. All of those guys are potentially injured. We're, we're still hearing more news on Robertson if he can play. Mm. But, you know, Trent's going to be out. Virgil van Dijk's definitely going to be out. And then you look at the other players up top as well. You know, you're looking at your Salah. He's out as well. It's... I think this is a good time to take a win. We've not won at Anfield since 1999, by the way, and that was a big goal from Ian Marshall, who's actually a Liverpool fan. <laughs> and he said to me um, that the best thing was that if you can't play for him, you've got to score against him, ain't you? <laughs> so big up to Marshy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, 1999 was the last win there, and it'd be nice to get one. Is it, almost, nice. at, is it almost at a stage where you'd be disappointed if you didn't get anything out of the Anfield trip? Yeah, I'd be. Uh, we've got injuries of ourselves at the back. You know, we've got no Ricardo Pereira on the right, and he is a staple of the of the key players. I think one of the biggest factors for not getting Champions League football last season at the end of the season. Uh, with with Ndidi as well missing, you know, I'd say Mendy has stepped up, but I still would prefer Ndidi in that holding role in the middle. But I think we should be able to take three points against this side. I know they're unbeaten in around, what, 60-odd games at home, Liverpool, yeah. I think. It's got to end sometime. But but it's got to end sometime. I mean, Leicester have already ended a 42-year run uh, against Arsenal away. Finally, finally beating them away since the 70s. So why not? Let's just break more records. Where are the weak points for Leicester City then? What worries you about the team? Because I was looking at the stats earlier. You've scored as many goals as Liverpool this season. You've conceded as few as Spurs with Jose Mourinho at the helm. So it's a pretty mean defence as well. You've got that creativity in midfield. If it's going to fall apart anywhere, where's that going to be? I would say on the left with Christian Fuchs, um, although he's been a rock this season, don't get me wrong, he has, and I'm not going to downplay him, but I think maybe his legs might go a little bit. He is getting on. Um, Other than that, I don't really see a weakness, to be fair, other than Christian Fuchs at the left. Uh, Before you go, I just want to know, do you still get stopped in the street, people thinking you're... Jamie Vardy, or have you got a T-shirt made with I'm not Jamie Vardy or something like that? And, and does it affect, is it directly affected by how well Leicester City are doing in the league? Do like, when you're, when you're, when you're struggling, no. does no one want to say hello? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm a postman by day. I get called Vardy all day, every day uh, by people out in the public. Uh, and also because I do YouTube stuff, I uh, do live streams, mm. uh, doing really well on that show on YouTube at the minute. During the live streams, we always get Vardy comments, probably three, maybe 10, maybe 20 sometimes a stream, you know. Um, I should probably put a pound in a tin for every time I get called it. I'd be a millionaire <laughs> by now. Where can people find that stream if they want us to hear more from you, Lee? Yeah, just search me up on YouTube at Lee Chappie or you can follow me on socials on Instagram and Twitter at Lee underscore Chappie as well. Tom and Jamie, I mean, sorry, <laughs> Tom and Lee. <laughs> Pleasure to have you on Flood Like Focus and good luck for the weekend. Yeah, thank you for having me on. And that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Thank you very much for listening. Make sure you click subscribe so you get the next episode as soon as it's ready and have a great weekend of football. We'll be back with the preview show Saturday morning. See you then. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. 
Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.